What is up team? Today, I am sharing an interview that I did on my friend and current client, Paul Klingen's podcast, the Mindful Muscle Podcast. This was super fun. We really dove into what we've been doing with Paul specifically and the strategies that we use with many of our clients. Paul is someone who has absolutely crushed it the last few months of coaching. Again, even as a coach himself, we created, we have created so much structure around his training, his nutrition, and his lifestyle as a whole that he's seen very, very, very rapid improvements. And I'll link up all Paul's content in the show notes below. So make sure you check out Paul's podcast, his Instagram. Um, he's a great content producer, great coach himself, and he's actually been on this show before also. Um, he was one of my earlier guests. But enjoy the episode six keys to building muscle really a deep dive into all the strategies that we use with our clients this is living lean the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself i'm your host jeremiah bear let's get into the show What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Down Dog Athletics Podcast, Competitor's Guide to Mental Health and Mastery. I hope you guys enjoyed Monday's episode, the Mindful Muscle segment, new segment that I'm going to be adding, and it's reflective of a new direction. I won't even say a new direction, just an evolution of who I am and what I want to do as a coach, what I want to bring to this world and help you guys with, and that's mindfulness. It's all the things that I've taken from yoga, taken from coaches, taken from you know, experiences that have caused me to spend a lot of time reflecting and growing, but then there's also gratitude and visualization and so many practices that you can do to improve your mental performance. And so there's going to be that side of it that we're going to talk a lot about and a lot of the guests are going to be related to that. But then there's also the training piece and building muscle and becoming a more athletic version of yourself. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you want to look athletic, you want to train to be athletic. Uh, and what does that look like? And so the guests that we're going to have on, the conversations that I want to have and the way that I want to help people is to do both those things, is to train the mind using mindfulness and mental performance and to train the body, build more muscle uh, and be able to be more athletic. And that's what I want to help you do. I want to help you evolve into the greatest version of yourself using those two things as the catalyst. I'm going to have a few programs, actually just one program, but a few opportunities to join Mindful Muscle, the program that I'll be releasing probably in about mid-December. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, I'll be talking about it on the podcast in the future as well. But I want to get into today's guest. And Jeremiah Bear, someone that we had on earlier in, I think it was episode four, one of the first guests that I had on. The guy is one of the smartest dudes in the country when it comes to training the body for aesthetics. And he's actually someone that I work with in building my own body. And so we're going to dive into the six keys, six principles that he has to building the most amount of muscle and really unveiling the body of your dream. So here we go. Going to jump into that conversation right now. Hope you enjoy it. It was in the book. You didn't read the book right? It's kind of like the tree falling in the woods. Like, did it really, it didn't make a sound. Did it fall? Um, and so let's just like kind of talk about those and like some of like either deeper principles or your approach with exercise selection, exercise execution, and how important that really is. Yeah, for sure, man. So honestly, I have like a whole system to this. It's a good bit different than like your muscle and strength pyramids, but if you're cool with it, I can kind of just talk through. Yeah, like, totally. Hey, this is kind of like the six steps or like, these are the boxes that we take for the system that we use. Are you cool with that? And we're, we're recording already. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So, okay. Perfect. Perfect. So I mean, in a nutshell, man, let's just kind of talk through. Okay. So we can systemize all this. Now 
you kind of mentioned like Cody. I know Cody McBroom, someone we both learned a lot from. I've really very much like this is something I pulled from like muscle and strength pyramids, Cody McBroom. I've learned a ton from Revive Stronger. So like how I do things is a good a bit different than like how Cody does things. Revive Stronger, Renaissance Periodization, and then kind of in one education who just in your check-in today, those were two people that I yeah. linked up absolutely check out. But so first and foremost, we kind of have like this system to make sure that we're doing everything properly to get results. So first and foremost, like everything that we're doing and we're started with training, of course, is built around consistency within your reps. And I know like that's one of the biggest things we focused on when you first started, right? Like I was having you drop me form videos for everything. And I was talking through like, all right, dude, you need to make sure that you have a very consistent like start and end point to each rep. Like when you're doing that dumbbell incline press, I want you to make sure that it touches your shoulder at the bottom of each rep and you're like fully locking out your elbows at the top or whatever. I think that one thing, because very much like when we're talking about things at this level, we're talking to people that have been training for at least a couple of years at this point, And they're kind of like starting to spin their wheels past that point or want to see quicker progress. So typically these are individuals that understand like, okay, volume is important. And most of the time we get caught up in like, okay, I want to push the load more and more and more. I want to set PRs this week relative to last week. But the thing most people fail to realize is like, let's use the example of a back squat because it's the easiest. If last week you squatted 225 for eight and this week you squatted 225 for nine, but you don't have any like consistent start and end points, do you actually know that you set a PR or were your reps just a little bit higher this week as opposed to last week? So like one of the first things I focus on with anyone I bring on is like, okay, for every single movement, I want you to identify these clear start and end points. That's, that's really as simple as that is like, that's one of the biggest difference makers. Yeah. Most like right away, people start making very quick gains. But what you're talking about is someone who says, all right, I did eight pushups on the ground. And then I did eight pushups on an incline bench. And then I did 10 and it's like, well, yeah, you changed right. the annex of it. So it's going to be easier because the angles aren't as deep and you're not getting to that like full range of motion. But within the same movement, even this gives us like the beauty of this is, okay, so we'll just call this point one. This is a con consistent start and end points for each movement or Steve Paul calls this terminal consistency. Again, like I can't take credit for most of this because most of this is like stuff I pulled from other people. Right. The terminal consistency within your reps is like the foundation that we're building everything else on because that gives us like, okay, week to week, I know I added weight or I added load in my reps. Like my range of motion was exactly the same this week as it was last week. So therefore I know that I'm actually making progress. So that's one of the biggest things that we're going to focus on from there. Then we're diving into exercise selection when we're building up. And let me know if you want me to elaborate on any of this. I, I kind of just dived into this. So yeah, no, I mean, even just that right there, the, the fact that you have to have like apples to apples, if you're going to measure PRs. Okay. And that's like, that's, again, like the foundation that we're building all this on, which is super simple, but it's just good execution, good form, right? Full range of motion that you can take a movement through safely. Now from there, then we're going to dive into exercise selection. So like, as you know, within your program, it's pretty simple. Like we're not doing anything that complex, variations of squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, but we're choosing movements that one, the target muscle group that we want to grow is the rate limiter, right? So for example, like a high bar back squat, we want 
your quads to be the limiter there. So I'm going to cue you like, dude, I want you to make sure you're taking your knees through like, or you're achieving a good amount of knee flexion, um, a high bar movement, even though you could like lift more weight on maybe a low bar squat, we know like a lot more posterior is going to kick in there. Maybe your lower back's going to be a bit more of a limiter. So we very much want to ensure that this is the right limiter. Or like, I think we talked about on loaded carries, like I want you to start using straps, right? That we have that conversation, correct? Yeah. Because again, like we're doing this to help you get a strong core, not to bring your grip strength up. So if grip is a limiting factor, it's kind of a shit exercise for actually bringing up the core. And I know we just talked about this a bit before, but I think that's another big piece with people look at movements and like, okay, this is a squat movement pattern. Or even like, I think we have this conversation with goblet squats as well. Yeah. Like, uh, sissy squats bother your knees. I think it was right. So, Hey, let's plug in something else. And you mentioned like a goblet squat. So while a goblet squat is a squat pattern, we know most of the time, like I have you doing a squat because I want it to fatigue your quads close enough to failure that we're actually stimulating muscle growth. Right. But if you're plugging in, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and at that point, like to actually get the quads to failure, it's going to turn into either more of like a cardio workout or my grip strength is going to go. My biceps are going to go because I'm going to have to hold a kettlebell. That's a hundred pounds. Or even like upper back for most people. Yeah. Upper back too. So two, we're looking at what's the rate limiter for movements. Really for most people, that's a huge one. Um, next we're trying to choose mostly compound exercises. So mental Solomon's has this term compoundedness, which basically means it works multiple joints. Um, and oftentimes multiple muscle groups at once. Now, of course, we work in some isolation exercises as well, but we're choosing mostly compound movements. Range of motion is another one that we focus on quite a bit, just because for most of our, so again, like let's look at a, let's look at a high bar back squat versus a box squat. Again, with the goal of you building your quads. All right, so we know that the quads role in your squat is going to be like knee flexion and this an extension, mostly knee extension, right? But that knee flexion, knee extension, that's going to be how we're stimulating your quads. We also know that the more range of motion we can get there, like the more knee flexion we can achieve, the more stimulus per rep you're going to get. So it would make much more sense for us to like, and you see a lot of people like load up a box squat and go super heavy on it. And well, it likely is a good power movement or like if you're trying to teach someone how to turn it into a more posterior dominant squat for quad hypertrophy specifically, high bar back squat is going to make so much more sense because you can have so much more range of motion specific to like the joint we want the most movement at for like, again, for your quads. So again, the knee joint here. So, which is another thing when we're looking at like exercise selection, I think people often will overlook or even like if we're looking at like a floor press where like, of course there's applications for it, but still we could argue like for your chest, you're going to need a much bigger stretch at the bottom of every single rep. Like you could just plug this in as a horizontal press, but we have to consider like, okay, how much range of motion are we really sacrificing here? Now, again, like there's applications, shoulder issues, et cetera, but something to consider. Wouldn't you Next, say that mobility and shoulder issues would be a rate limiter as well? Absolutely. And that's what, again, like, as you know, like all of this is so individualized. So by no means am I saying here, like, Hey, everyone should do a high bar back squat 
or like like I would argue there's a lot of people that should do a high bar back squat. So of course, like like you said, man, you, everyone's gonna have different rate limiters. Now, like you're a good example of someone who you don't have very many mobility rate limiters or things like that. So we can just plug in all these movements with like like your biggest rate limiter, I would say, is the amount of equipment you have to work with. Like you move well, you're a strong dude, you don't have any glaring imbalances. So we can just plug in the movements that I think are the best fit for you in your anatomy, your biomechanics, and you yeah. cry. But no, that's absolutely that's a great point. Um, mobility is a good rate limiter as well. Next, we want some eccentric component, which is uh, another one I think people fail to consider. We do know that the eccentric or the negative portion of lift does create some muscle damage. So when it comes to hypertrophy, which again, this is different than if you're training for strength or for power, but for building muscle, we want movements that do have some eccentric. So for example, like one thing that's almost blasphemy is like the talking about like barbell deadlifts, like a conventional barbell deadlift for most people. And this is going to tie into stimulus to fatigue ratio as well, which we'll touch on next. And again, man, stop me here at any point. Yeah. One question I want to jump in real quick though. You were talking about eccentric a lot of people throw around time under tension and i feel like eccentric and isometric in time under tension like there's variance and there's variance and nuance between all that right you can't just get someone to isometric and have a ton of tension there and see the same growth that you would see with the eccentric right absolutely and there's there's so much like that's getting very deep into like hey the studies on isometrics versus the studies on eccentrics basically though from what we seem to know, like specific to eccentrics, they don't seem like an eccentric hold doesn't seem to be very stimulative for hypertrophy. Whereas an eccentric, we know like most of the muscle damage in a movement comes from the eccentric component. And we do know like if we have your three our three mechanisms of hypertrophy, like we have mechanical tension, which of course is important. We have metabolic stress. And we have muscle damage, right? And it's not that mechanical tension is the most important factor, but still it does seem more and more that an eccentric component and like, or you could even say like, it's often termed like dynamic concentric and eccentric contractions, right? Um, are going to be the biggest components that we're chasing here. So one, it's comes down to like, again, if we're looking at a conventional deadlift. All right. So if we look at... Okay, what muscles are we trying to grow here? Likely it's going to be your glutes and hamstrings, right? Okay, so we look at how most people deadlift. Yeah, you can lift some heavy ass on the way up, but when you're lowering that weight, there's not really any eccentric component involved at all, right? Most people are just going to be dropping that weight very quickly. And at the bottom of that, you're not like getting a big stretch on your hamstrings. So range of motion is going to be a little bit shorter for most people as well. So if we're looking at it for like from a muscle building perspective, for the goal specific of building hamstrings or building glutes as well, for most people, a Romanian deadlift would be a better fit, right? And then the final argument of that is how much fatigue are we creating for the amount of stimulus that you're getting? So, and again, this varies a lot by individual. There are some people who like, man, a traditional deadlift absolutely smokes my hamstrings. And I think there's something to be said too for like, how does it make you feel like, do you feel like, are your hamstrings smoked after that? I know that's like the least scientific thing ever, 
but that's the reality of it. We need to I ask that question okay. all the time in person. I'm like, there's two things you're going to hear from me. Like, I want you to tell me if you're ever in pain and I'm going to ask you every single set, like, where do you feel that? How does that feel? And a lot of times it's like, I feel it in the legs and it's like, all right, we got to dive into this more. But it's like, if you don't feel it there, you odds are, are not working that specific muscle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was another question real quick. I just wanted to touch on too, where how much of when we're doing something that is eccentric is, um, uh, in FRC, they call it eccentric neural grooving. Right. And so that eccentric component is allowing the brain to, in a slower way, like recruit more motor neurons to basically like get stronger in the motor recruitment. Um, is there anything that you've seen with that in terms of like neurological, uh, where you're basically able to like bring more fibers online? I wish I could say I knew more about that, but I'm not okay. sure. Okay, no worries. Um, yeah, it's just, but it's like you think about like that eccentric. I, I love using that as a way to teach movement because you're doing it in a slowed down container. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I like that a lot as well. So from there, then we're talking about again, like how much fatigue to stimulate, like what's the stimulus to fatigue ratio of the movement? So again, like most people know a barbell deadlift you're going to be, and again, I'm not trying to show shit on barbell deadlifts. This is again, just like thinking through like application specific to your goals. Most people are going to be smashed after that. Right. So overall, the amount of volume they're going to do from that is low. The fatigue costs are high. The recovery costs are high, I should say. Whereas again, like a Romanian deadlift, you can take a bit lighter. Um, you're going to have a lot less fatigue, but arguably you're going to have more stimulus from said movement. So again, when we're looking at movements, like looking at this, stimulus to fatigue ratio and again often like range of motion is something that's very helpful to consider here but again that's the next piece that we're really looking at um and then of course we wanted to be able to we want the ability to overload movements over time which is pretty simple and most like except for like right now i know you're getting to the point where you're checking you said you're maxing out the dumbbells right like your gym your gym doesn't have past 70 pound dumbbells so again like yeah and that's that's of course pretty intuitive like okay now we just know some movements we need to choose movements where you can move up and wait a bit and then finally like like we mentioned already we want it to be a movement that feels good for you like i could program you sissy squats but i know it feels like shit for you personally and like i always say like you know your body better than me so like if i've seen the movement and i don't have anything else correct it still doesn't feel good for you then like okay cool let's plug in a different movement so as far as exercise selection goes, those are the main things that we're looking at. I think that, again, like the rate limiter and the stimulus to fatigue of a movement are the biggest things. And it, and range of motion really ties into stimulus to fatigue too. Like, I know another thing we talked about is like, dude, I want you to push your squats lower. Like for me, one of the biggest, my ego took such a huge hit when I learned about this because the weight that I was squatting was literally cut in half. But for the longest time, I always thought that squats were a shitty movement for me. I never feel my quads. I can never get my legs to grow at all. But now all of a sudden, like, okay, I can actually do like an acid grass squat if I drop the weight significantly. And now I'm not near as tired after my squats. I'm not near as fatigued. My joints feel better. My CNS has less fatigue. But my quads are also smoked after my squat session because I'm actually taking that through the full range of motion. So another big realization for many people when we're talking about these concepts here is you are oftentimes by dropping the load, focusing on more range of motion, 
function, a slower eccentric. So basically, and I should also mention tempo. So basically, when we're talking about all these things, um, in most cases, it's smart to take two to four seconds on the eccentric. So two to four seconds on the lowering phase, we could say, and then to be explosive on the way up. We know explosive movement is going to recruit more fast switch fibers, which have more ability to grow. Um, so when we're talking about all those things, again, like I'm going to reduce the weight, I'm going to increase my range of motion, I'm going to focus on this eccentric control and be explosive on the way up. You're going to get more stimulus, but again, less fatigue. Your joints are going to, you're using less load, so it's less hard on your joints, less overall fatigue for your nervous system. So again, for most people, like these concepts are a lot different. And again, it's really, we can really simplify it as basically like, hey, use good form and like probably do all these things you were initially taught to do, but kind of get away from in the sake of pushing for heavyweight anyways. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting just how much you can build muscle by dropping weight and doing it the right way. That was a big one for me because everything is always like progressive overload, but in a way it's like you could almost put range of motion or quality movement as a way to progress. Absolutely, man. And that's the same thing for me. When I got super deep into learning about volume and similarly like progressive overload is the key to hypertrophy. I was so caught up in like, I'm just going to push heavy weight, right? Like that's all that matters. Okay. My volume this week, is more than my volume last week. But again, there's a volume, there's quality of volume as well. And if that's deteriorating across time as well, then you're not actually progressing. Yeah. Well, I, you look at uh, a sports example of this would be Tiger Woods. He won all those masters with a swing that if he would have continued, would have set him back. So he had to re basically go to the, the drawing board on his swing and he took a few steps back. But and I can't speak to everything because I'm not like his swing coach and a swing specialist, but that's an example where it's like, if you want to do this for 30 years, which should be the goal, you got to drop down and make sure that you're building on a good foundation. No, hundred percent, man. And I, I catch myself all the time. Like every couple of mesocycles I have to, there's at least a couple of movements where I'm like, fuck, I have been very much just focusing on like, okay, I'm going to push the weight no matter what. And all of a sudden I've spent the last couple of weeks with like shitty form. I'm not getting very much stimulus out of this. I got to drop the weight and basically focus on reworking this movement. And I think that's a, at least for me, I know for many clients as well, that's a relatively common thing where we kind of have to rework things like that. So that's, that's the perfect example, but it's like, you can keep going on as is, but you're not going to keep winning masters, right? You're not going to, and in our case, you're not going to keep building muscle. Eventually like this lack of control and lack of form is going to catch up to you. And you're eventually going to have to rework this regardless. Yeah, the best ability is availability. And if you're not available, you're not building shit. Absolutely. So as far as exercise selection goes, do you have any other questions about that part? No, no. I think that that was super, super helpful. Um, I'd love to dive into the intensity, frequency, and volume uh, aspect of this next. And just kind of like how people could have just like two or three takeaways from each to see a little bit more progress on their, you know, their goals absolutely and that that ties in really well to kind of like the next bullet point we could say so basically this is like six keys to kind of like make up this system and how we're building it and progressing so as far as intensity goes how i like to do this is progress rir across a mesocycle so a mesocycle is basically for most people it's going to be a four to six week training block now week one there we're starting 
a good bit from failure. So we're starting most movements with three to four reps in reserve. Now, across the mesocycle, so across training weeks, we're going to decrease RIR for reps in reserve. So we're getting closer and closer and closer to failure. So week two, maybe it's three RIR. Week three, maybe it's two RIR. Week four, maybe we're at um, one RIR. Week five, we're zero to one RIR. We're really pushing you. Um, volume's going to be a little bit higher. And then week six, we're going to be deloading, right? So I really like this process because one, I think it's a lot easier for most people to like progress intensity across the mesocycle as opposed to, okay, for the next four to six weeks, you're going to be training at like a zero to one RIR, which I think is what a lot of people do. But also a lot of people have like two productive training weeks a month. And then they're just absolutely so smashed from those two weeks that they like are either injured or just mentally they're not with it. They can't go in and push that hard every month. So I think for a lot of people, this sets them back more than it's actually productive to like always try to train so hard. Whereas we know that training with three reps left in the tank is still enough to stimulate muscle growth. And then over time, again, across the middle cycle, we're getting closer and closer and closer to failure. Now, this also really ties into our progression, which is one of the biggest things we focus on is weekly progressing on a set-by-set basis. So, okay, last week you hit 185 for eight on your back squat, and I'll typically assign clients a broader rep range like eight to 12, seven to 10, something like that, right? This week, since RIR decreases, I want you to push to add a rep or add a bit of load relative to this corresponding set last week. So again, like last week you hit 185 for seven on your first set. This week you're going to push for 85, 185 for eight. Last week you hit 185 for five on your second set. This week I want you to push for six. Or again, we can add a bit of load there. We're likely going to like try not to dip below five reps if the goal is hypertrophy. But again, like for most people in our position, so people that have been training for more than a few years, it's super, you can go into the gym and do this same weight for the same reps over and over and over again. And it'll always feel hard because you're advanced to the point where you can lift heavy weight, right? And you can push yourself. But if we don't have this clear system for progression, you can just mindlessly like go in and like, yeah, that feels like about a one rep left in the tank set, but never actually do more because it's always going to feel hard. So this progression system, like, hey, where were you last week? What were the specific numbers you hit? Okay, we're going to try to beat those this week. And your RIR progression ties into that. This very much gives people like, okay, what exactly do I need to do to improve from last week? So as far as the intensity goes, that's the biggest. And we could also look at it as intense, intensity as load. But here I'm just going to – and it, they kind of tie into each other as well. But here we're just going to look at it as proximity to failure. Um, as far as volume. So I typically also like to – adjust volume across the mesocycle. One, so, act, real quick, one other thing I wanted to just touch on is in the intensity piece that I feel like even I find myself running into that advanced <laughs> lifters could run into is in a way like the mind can be a rate limiter where you're like, oh yeah, like that that was one rep left or like that was really hard. And I was, I was squatting with my buddy that I used to play uh, baseball with in college and he, he, back then he was much stronger than me and he was lifting even bigger weights when he was playing pro ball. But I was like, damn, like he's watching me. Like I'm going to almost failure each time where I feel like it's easy to just go into like, 
all right, yeah, like that was good. Well, I could, I could maybe do one more. When in reality, it's almost like people would see mu- more muscle growth if they worked out in front of someone they had a crush on because they would actually get to failure every single time. Well, that's what hired me, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, I couldn't agree more, man. And that's part of it. That's the beauty of form videos too. And that's the beauty of, I would say, like the progression model it pushes you to like keep adding a rep, keep adding a rep, keep adding a rep. So there's eventually going to come a point where like maybe week one, you thought you were three, your three R. What was your five R? What you thought was your three RIR was actually your five RIR. You actually had a lot more than you thought, but you're going to keep adding a rep, keep adding a rep. And that last week when it's zero to one RIR on like everything that is safe to actually take to like, failure and again we're not doing this that often and i program at a zero to one so like back squats like i don't want you to actually fail in back squat but i want you to push to a point where yeah you probably don't have another good rep left in the tank right yeah i think that's the beauty of this too is like actually pushing it to that point and honestly that's why i like form videos a lot from clients too is like it just holds people more accountable too to like am i really genuinely taking it there and i know for even for like me personally like my last week before the deload is always the week I record my form videos and send them to my coach because it's accountability to me to like, fuck, I don't want to take this set of 10 to 15. Yeah, you get it. I don't want to yeah. take this set of 10 to 15 split squats to failure, but like, is it safe to fail on the movement? Yeah. Are we having you do that for six weeks in a row? Absolutely not. But I think mentally too, man, like you said, knowing like this is actually where my zero RIR target is. And then being able to build off of that in the future is super important for most people. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like just about anything in life. We put these like suppressor limiters on ourselves. And if we just were to like actually push to failure and so many different things, right. Even if it was like, how many hours could you work in a week? Like, should you work hundred hours? No, but or do you have that in the tank? You might, you just don't know. You never get to that point. No, I, I couldn't agree more, man. That's, that's such a good analogy for like, truly in the area i think business is probably the thing that sticks out the most but just like you said like and that's i don't know if you still do like 90 day outcomes and mm-hmm. things like that but i know like within our mentorship that we were a part of together for a long time that's a big thing we're doing it's very much like a sprint like okay i'm pushing myself in business harder than i ever had but like your capacity you have a lot larger capacity to do most things i think than we realize but for most of us, we have to be pushed to that point or like podcast is such a good example of that for me. Like these people that are on the show and I'm sure you felt this and I don't, you were pretty confident too. So I don't know if you have felt this way, but I know like for me, a lot of people have had on the podcast. I'm like, fuck, like I literally don't know if I can hold a conversation with this person. Just but like, they come on, Exactly. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to sound like such a dumbass, and, but they come on as like, Oh, cool. I did that. Now my capacity to communicate with people of that level of intelligence has just expanded or like my knowledge of my capacity, I should say. So yeah, I couldn't totally. Dude, some of my early podcasts where I'm like, I like read the person's book and we're, you know, I'm just like asking questions on words I can't even pronounce. I was like, Oh man, like get me yeah, out of here. It's so, so frightening. But eventually you realize that like, and it, sometimes it is dependent too on, on the person. Some people are super type A and just you're not going to connect with them. And that's honestly too though where 
to bring it into a sports analogy as a pitcher, some days you just don't have it and you just got to gut it out, get six innings thrown and keep your team in the ball game. And from a podcast standpoint, like, yes, the, the idea is to throw a shutout and just absolutely crush, but uh, I don't know. Now we're getting kind of off topic, but you, no. you grow, basically you grow, push yourself up to like, Holy shit, this is scary and do that enough times and you'll grow. I couldn't agree more, man. And that's, I apologize. There's a leaf blower right below my window right now as well. So hopefully that's not too loud, but right. um, I couldn't agree more. I saw super one, one last note on this. I've been telling everybody around this around me about this because I thought it was super cool. I saw this diagram the other day. It was like similar to this. We're talking about imposter syndrome basically, but it was like three overlapping circles. Right. And you're like in the middle of it. And like everyone you look up to or everyone you think is so much smarter than you. I think you're realizing that like, their knowledge is one of these circles off to the side, but like overlaps, like you see like very exclusive knowledge, but like if you're looking at like three people and you're in the middle of them, they have like this bubble of knowledge over here, this bubble of knowledge over here, this bubble of knowledge over here. So like you see like them in this very specialized area, they're like so much smarter than you, they're so much more talented than you, but then you have like all these other overlapping skills and knowledge that they don't have. To me anyways, that's been a super cool way to like look at it. Yeah. If anyone else on listening to this as a podcaster, that's been a very cool way to be like, okay, I, this is a very one specific specialized topic that I'm speaking to about, but I don't have to feel like an idiot because I don't know as much about this one specific thing as they do. Yeah, totally. Well, I do, honestly, and again, we're going to tangent this a little bit, but anytime someone's getting into their own business or they're on social media and they're like, someone's already doing it, like literally every single person is a conglomerate of like 10,000 other circles. And like, that's what makes your circle individual. Like that's what your DNA is. And so to side tangent this, like if anyone's like, Oh, I don't know if I could do that. Like I'm not interesting enough. Like every single person that you've interacted with is a unique combination that makes you, you. And so just by that fact, you're unique. And yeah, someone's going to know more than you, but then they're not going to know how to like read a book and you can read a book. And so like, there's always something that someone else sucks at and you can't be great at everything. That's where it's like, kind of like video games I find, or it's like, you got to kind of like pick what you're good at. And then you have you're teams and people and friends that might be like totally better. Like my friend yesterday is a financial advisor and we're working out. I'm just like, Oh, like this guy's diving into a completely different world that I know like very small amount about, but he probably feels the same way about me in like the training space. Right. Right. No, hundred percent, man. That's why it's important to meet different people and get to know people with different outlooks and different perspectives. Absolutely, dude. And that's, we are way off from the hypergy. Yeah. Let's get back to the muscle building. I would would also say truly, I think that's a value in connecting with people. Like, I know something that I've realized even in the last couple months is I always thought it was something like I'm good on my own. Like I just like to kind of like work, do my own thing, create content. But truly, I know for me, I've just recently realized like hanging out with other like-minded people, not even like people that are the same as me, but just like spending time connecting with people. I don't know if it's just because of COVID, this has become so much stronger, like such a stronger realization for me, but like it's such a drastic contrast with like how much more confident I am, how much better I'm able to take myself to the world. And there's like my clarity and my goals and what I want. I feel like for whatever reason, just being around other people and like actually being vulnerable and open about shit like this has it's to me almost a weird carryover to like wow i just like feel so much lighter feel so much more confident and again like clear on what i want but again 
way, way off here. Yeah, so you, we, were, we were going into volume, and then I said, <laughs> side, side quest, let's go. So volume across the course of a mesocycle. So typically, we're going to start this a little bit lower. Um, Renaissance periodization has their volume landmarks, which we don't have to get too deep into here because that's like one of the podcasts in and of itself. But basically, at the start of the mesocycle, we're going to start most people around like their minimum effective volume. So this is like the minimum amount we know that they need to do to progress across the mesocycle. Um, across the mesocycle, we want to push to your maximum recoverable volume, so the absolute most you can do and still recover from, or even slightly beyond that. And for most people, we're going to go slightly beyond that because reality is like that last week before the deload, if it's someone that's eating a surplus like you are, I would rather err on the side of doing a little bit too much because, hey, we have a whole like deload week where you can recover, you can come back from it. And next mesocycle, you're going to feel a lot stronger. So typically then what we're looking at here is first I'm diving into like how have, okay, so like relative to last week's sets, how was their progress this week? Okay, so last week, like, we saw solid, okay, like you, again, you squatted 185 for 765 last week. This week you squatted it for nine, um, eight, seven. Okay, cool. That's solid progress. We're likely okay to, and this is, again, this isn't the only thing that we're going to adjust volume off of, but this is one of the major things we look at. Okay, we're seeing solid changes here. Whereas like, okay, maybe you only made progress on one of those sets, Okay, that's likely a good sign that we probably don't need to increase volume too much. If I say the same, we absolutely don't want to increase volume. If you're regressing, we likely need to decrease volume. Now, again, like consistently getting stronger, basically if we're looking at, should we increase volume, keep volume the same or decrease? If you're consistently getting stronger, pumps are good. If you're consistently a little bit sore. None of these, none of these in and of themselves are like, hey, we're just chasing the pump or we're just chasing soreness. But again, like combined, they're all good signs to know if we should progress. So again, you're consistently progressing within these rep ranges. Um, you're a little bit sore consistently. You're getting good pumps and you're not feeling them run down. Okay, that's a good sign that we're right about at the right amount of volume. Now, again, like we can look, then from there we're looking at, so like that's exactly... I know this mesocycle, especially the, which like the cool thing is the longer you work with someone, the more we can get dialed in on like about the amount of volume you seem to feel best with is. So like, I know for this mesocycle, we've been dialed in on your volume demands, right? So those are the main things that we're looking at when we're adjusting volume across the mesocycle. And then again, like we get a good idea for most people. And like, if you listen to, I don't know how into like Renaissance periodization, like Mike Azertel and Eric Holmes and Brian Miner have been having like the volume debate, right? Like, should you keep your volume static or should you progress it? And like the example that they use is like, you go from 10 hard sets to 20 hard sets of a movement across a mesocycle or a move or per muscle, muscle group, which honestly is like, as you know, it's like, hey, maybe across this mesocycle, we've gone from three, three hard sets with this movement to four to five hard sets, right? So we're never like ramping it up too drastically, but we are increasing it over time. And then um, across multiple mesocycles as well. And then you can stop me anytime if you would like. But um, so that's kind of how we're progressing across the mesocycle. We're deloading, starting the process over. Now across multiple mesocycles, your body's an adaptation machine, right? The more you hit it with the same stressor, the more it adapts to that, the less you get out of it. So 
over time, our volume demands are going to increase in order to keep seeing growth. So if I had you doing the exact same, like on the exact same sets reps as you were your first meso, you wouldn't get as much out of it. So what I like to do is across three to four mesocycles, we're going to layer on volume a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Now, typically we'll like the most common definition of volume is going to be number of hard sets. That said, for most people, there's a very hard ceiling for like within my time constraints, this is the amount of volume I can do, right? So I think it makes more sense to, in this situation, look at it as sets times reps times weight. So basically here, over mesocycles, we're slightly increasing rep ranges. And this is also the thinking behind, like, I know you probably noticed we've implemented a lot more downsides. And I don't think you even saw your uh, my response to your check-in yet. But like this coming mesocycle, again, we're going to implement a lot more downsides. So basically what we're doing there, a downside is basically like, yo, I want you to drop the weight by 10 to 15% and hit the same RIR target. So we know that that's going to count to, that's basically going to come out. To, so like you might do like two sets of back squat at seven to 10 to RIR. That's going to be followed by two down sets. We're going to decrease the load by 10% and then just rep it out till you hit your RIR target. So again, like volume there would be slightly higher than if I had just prescribed you four sets of seven to 10, right? So just by implementing things like that across mesocycles, we're increasing volume. Again, your next mesocycle, we're going to have more downsets than we did this one. And also rep ranges on accessory work will likely be slightly higher. And then the final mesocycle will take you through like some type of metabolite phase. So here we're actually implementing a lot of intensification techniques. So lots of like supersets. So for example, I'll have you do, I might have you do like a dumbbell chest fly, superset of push-ups to failure. Things like that, right? Right, like more like finisher type things. But again, we're jacking up the volume more and more. Now, from there, we can only continue to do this for so long again before it's just not scalable anymore. So what we do from there, then we'll take people through a lower volume phase. So this will be like a strength phase. So by this point, again, volume is pretty damn high. We just can't keep adding more. So we essentially want to, quote unquote, resensitize your body to volume. So a strength phase is essentially we're going to drop our rep ranges way down. We're mostly going to focus on compound movements and anywhere from like four to 10 reps most of the time. Um, overall volume is a lot lower. But again, by the time we've gone through that, we're doing more than enough to maintain muscle. And really like the goal here isn't to make gains. Some For some people, it's fun to focus on like, hey, I'm just getting a lot stronger because the reality is you will hit a lot of PRs because you're just working on lower rep ranges. But the number one outcome is we're doing enough to hold on to the muscle that you have. And when we go back to a higher volume style of training, like you were following before, you're going to be resensitized to it. So once again, you'll get more gains out of doing less volume. Yeah, totally. So it's just going into minimum effective volume to maintain the muscle that you've built until you can, in a way from like a nutritional standpoint, you're just resensitizing and getting back to like balanced exactly. position so that you can now with, the new adaptation you've created go into something a little bit harder. Exactly. Um, it's kind of like one question I have on that, that um, love to dive into a little bit more is just how focusing on upper body or lower body is more beneficial than doing a total body um, split. Maybe it's like three days and you're doing total body, you're doing upper body, lower body, total body. Uh, just because some of the stuff I've read is, and if you think about it, maybe logically it's like if I'm spending an entire day 
just hammering the quads, like by the end of the day, like my quads and the other leg muscles like are going to be toast versus if I'm going and jumping back for like upper body compound, lower body compound, upper body compound, lower body compound. Yeah. You're getting hard sets on there over the course of the week, but there's not like that compounding effect throughout the course of the day. Is that kind of how it works? And, and you, you only have, some people only have so much time to train. So total body does make sense, right? Availability is paramount over all of the stuff we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But how does, how do you, how do you balance that if you are doing a total body um, split? So typically how I look at it, frequency, volume, and intensity are kind of on a sliding scale. Or we could say like as two factors increase, one of them has to decrease. Like we can't have a high frequency, high volume, high intensity program because people are just going to smash. So like your number one goal is going to be, your number one goal is to get jacked right now, right? Like you're turning into Thor slash Captain America. But like a more handsome version of both those guys. Exactly. And taller, <laughs> even though I'm not 6'4". <laughs> but so we know that volume is going to be paramount here, right? Like volume is the factor that we want to push the most. And it doesn't – intensity relative to like – again, here we talk like is it load or is it like actually how close we're getting to failure. But here I'm going to talk about like how close we're getting to failure. It's going to be relative – like I would say moderate. But that means like if we have high volume, our frequency is pretty high, it just wouldn't make sense for us to also have, or excuse me, we have high volume and our intensity is pretty high, it wouldn't make sense for us to also have frequency pretty high because we're just going to be smash. Whereas like if you were like, hey, I can only train three days per week. So very much for most people, when we're determining that, it just comes down to how frequently you can train. Because like you said, if I can only train three days per week, the reality is we just can't fit that much volume into three days per week training. So your frequency... You're touching everything three times a week, and which is relatively high. And your intensity just has to be high in order for you to make gains. But again, the more we increase any one of these factors, the more we have to decrease like other factors. Does that make sense? Yeah. Whereas like we can also do like, so for example, right now you're training five days per week. You're following upper, lower, upper, lower, upper split, right? If we wanted, just because I think, or I know you want a little bit more fo- focus on your upper body. Whereas like if you were like, I just want to build some cakes, just some big old glutes, right? Like we'd probably switch that lower, upper, lower, upper, lower. But like past that point, most people anecdotally I found, even if we get into like, okay, if you're training six days a week and we're training upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, lower, most people even from that is just so much frequency that most people are smashed. Whereas like a push, pull, lower, push, pull, lower tends to like from a recovery standpoint, seems to work better for most people. And again, a lot of that is even just like anecdote from my own experience and experiences with clients. But it, if we're looking at like a full body, a full body style of training, and even if it's not so much like your central nervous system, just mentally for most people, like I know I don't want to train legs six days a week, right? So yeah. if we're having to train full body six times per week, just the mental fatigue, which again is another thing I actually talked about in your check-in. So I'm sorry for you to dive into that. But we also have to consider like the mental fatigue of a movement or a training session is actually a big part of the process. And like, it does take a recovery toll as well. So like one thing I mentioned for you is like, we're likely going to sub in a different movement for your split squats this next training phase. Cause I know like for me, like after a couple of mesocycles and I'm getting really, really strong on split squats, the mental toll of just like 
fuck, like I got split squats this session. Okay. Like got to get myself revved up for him. And then like three to five minutes between like, okay, just got to get my mind right for this next set. Like that in itself is a large T cost. Whereas if I can hop on the leg press, I could get the same amount of quad stimulus out of this. Now, and again, like for you with the equipment available, we're not able to plug in the leg press, but you get the idea. Then it makes sense a lot of times to like, how can we make this a little bit less mentally fatiguing as well? Which is where another part of their frequency standpoint, like most people just don't want to train like upper body that much. Whereas like on the flip side, like I know something we've done with your program, some is like, hey, at the end of this, we're going to like add a little, at the end of your lower body day, we're going to add some lateral raises so you can get a delt pump as well, right? For most people, again, like like you mentioned, the best availability is availability. That's the saying, right? Yeah. Right. So, but, and it kind of ties back to overall like adherence. And part of that too is not just like these science-based principles, but how can we make this really, really fun for you so you love your training program? Because I know that if you love your training program, you're having fun with this, you'll be super consistent with it and you will get great results out of it. So I think that like, so many different factors, but as far as frequency goes, like those are the biggest things we want to consider. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. You slightly off topic, but you hear people talk about decision fatigue, right? And just like how much effort it takes to be like, I'm wearing this, I'm eating this, I'm buying this. And so you want to systemize that as much as possible because it does take energy. Right. And so this weekend was a great example. I was like, man, feel like i'm just getting smoked like every single time like imagine if every day you had to wake up and like amp yourself up to go to work and like that happens all the time and people get absolutely drained right as opposed to where if, like every day you're like oh man i can't wait to go to work like this is or you don't even have to be like that but just not like hating it so much like that takes energy right i love to say like emotions are energy in motion so the more you have to like change the how you feel about what you're about to go and do like that's going to take energy to address that and so the more you can just have it like be super smooth going into whatever it is whatever lift you're doing the more energy you're going to have for that at least that's how i look at it no i couldn't agree more man and this is i think this is one of the hardest things to draw the line with like sometimes we just have to do hard shit right like similar to the podcast like i know i know if i'm going into a podcast with someone that's like like we mentioned like so smart at like the five minutes before that, it's like, yeah, I just, I just don't want to do this right now, but I know this is what I need to do. So there is a very a fine line between like, <laughs> we can't just avoid everything that's hard, of course, totally. Yeah, but which I think is very much like as a coach, you have to understand where that line is and you have to be honestly, like, I think as a client or as someone that's coaching yourself, you have to just ask yourself like, Am I just rationalizing to take it easier on myself right now? Or could I do something else that would have less mental fatigue, but would give me the same results? Yeah. That's what I always find interesting is everyone like initially it's like, everyone's like, just move your body, like, go exercise, go move. And then it's like, all right, find something you enjoy doing. And then there does come a point where it's like, all right, it's like, I don't enjoy taking my cat's litter out, but I got to fucking do it. <laughs> right and it's like there's a lot of things in life like i don't want to pay my taxes but i got to do it <laughs> and you can't be so like oh only work out if you like enjoy the workout like sometimes it just sucks every single day i get clients so i'm just like all right split squats let's get the legs up on the bench and like oh these again i'm like yeah these again it's like you're gonna hate some things but you just gotta do it yeah and that's that's part of it too is like keeping the 
I would say look at that from the frame of, okay, is the decision I'm making, does this still want align with the outcomes that I want long-term, right? I think that's, I think that's the best, with like the exercise selection thing, if you're like looking to swap a movement, I think that's the best way you could frame it. Because similarly, like, and you'll feel this too when you get in the metabolite phase, dude, because it's pretty intense, man. And by the last week where it's zero to one RAR, it's like, damn, I don't know if I want to go into the gym this week. But, and I was just talking to another client about this this morning, like, for some people who their goals are just like, hey, I want to feel good. I want to move well. I don't care about like taking my physique to a crazy level. Okay. We probably wouldn't implement that intensive metabolite phase because it's not necessary to like that extent. It would burn them out more than anything. But like for you, or I know like for me, this was just a couple of weeks ago when we did the same thing. I was like, this is the hardest week of training I've ever had. Do I want to be in the gym? Not really this week because this shit sucks. Like I'm exhausted. But I know long-term is what I want. So that's another important thing to say. Yeah, for sure. Um, where are we at on your six keys to building muscle? Um, let's see. We had consistent starting endpoints, exercise selection, RIR progression, stimulus to fatigue ratio, um, volume across the mesocycle, and volume across multiple mesocycles. So we actually hit it all. We hit it all. Great. Um, I mean, that's... I, like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, it's like you get your training, you get your nutrition, you got your recovery. This is good. This could be a whole nother topic just on like <laughs> how you fuel this from a nutrition standpoint. So um, we'll definitely dive into that at some other time. And then recovery is the one that's like most overlooked. I was talking with a client on it today. He's like, yeah, I just haven't been really sleeping well. And I'm like, dude, that's like so important if we want to get yeah. everything building as much as we can, because we're in that phase with him. Um, but dude, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I'm super excited to continue to grow in this personally. And then I appreciate you just coming in and sharing your knowledge for everyone uh, on you know how they can get jacked for 2021. Dude, it's been my pleasure. It's been super fun to watch all your progress, especially. Um, no, man, I couldn't be happy to be here. Yep. Cool, man. All right. We'll take it easy. Boom. So there you have it. Obviously, a lot of science going into that one, a lot of things that you can apply to the stuff that you're doing in the gym. And just want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure and share it, leave a review, leave a rating. Uh, and just want to reiterate the direction of this podcast. We're not going to get away from mental health by any means, not going to get away from mental performance and having on super inspiring people, authors, uh, experts, all the different people that we've had on the podcast. But what I want you to be able to take away from each episode is something that you can use to train your mind to level up or train your body to level up, right? We want to create the life of our dreams. We want to create the body of our dreams. The body is the path to power, right? And so having on a guest like Jeremiah, it's going to help us do that. If we're able to create the body of our dreams and apply all the lessons we learn in the gym, working out and really pushing ourselves physically and mentally, well, now we can apply that to literally anything in life. You think you can only do so much with a certain weight. Well, now you can go in and say, well, I said that in the gym. Now there's going to be something in life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a career where you're saying, I don't know if I can do this, but you have proof. You have evidence that you've been able to come over that hurdle. And that's what I want to help you guys create. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Like I said, uh, and I'll catch you guys next time on the Down Dog Athletics Podcast. 